Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. the audience. It's good to have Jennifer with us this morning. It's good to see Skylar here today uh, in the house of the Lord, and, and so happy to see that. Good to see Ethan had to take down one of the cords in order to sit today, and that's okay, Ethan. Amen. I'm so glad to see him this morning and the different ones. I see Sarah. Good to see her. Amen. My sister and brother-in-law. Amen. Good to see just so many different faces. Amen. In the house of the Lord this morning. We're grateful. Amen. For that. Hallelujah. Uh, with the things taking place, and they should already know this, but Lord, do not forget the Board of Trustees. We need to meet after this service uh, this morning, and so please remember that and help me remember that, of all things. All right? That's why it would happen. And so, uh, but uh, let's, let's, let's remember that. Also, uh, next Sunday morning, we'll be announcing our new Volunteer of the Month. This past month, it's been Sister Sheila McGee. It has been... This past month, we're so grateful for her and her years of service and volunteering around here. So next Sunday morning will be the last opportunity for her to take advantage of that parking space and uh, uh, so on and so forth. And we'll move on and we'll announce a new volunteer of the month. Amen. We're grateful today for all of our volunteers that give of their time and of their talents and abilities unto the Lord. So thankful for that. If you'll stand with me this morning, we're going to turn to Matthew 26. So thankful for everybody that was at game night and prayer this past week not necessarily in that order okay but <laughs> prayer and game night so thankful for uh, those that came out we had a good time and uh, it's like we had two different tables going on and I was even able to rope I told them I started to get the senior citizens in I'm playing some guy I had my mom and dad and sister Penrod and brother Pat people that normally don't play games during that night they were playing and so uh that was great and Sister McGee had a table of rambunctious people over there and Sister Summer brought a couple of her teammates from the college and it was just just fun just fun and so it's good to have fun isn't it it's good it's a good the old song you say it's a good life living for the Lord and it is it is each day gets sweeter Matthew 26 I'm going to read verse 39 Matthew 26 and I'm going to read verse verse 39 this is the setting of the scripture we're just plucking one verse out good to see Dixie I see you now. <laughs> you have to stand up next time. <laughs> I see her now hiding behind Brother Terry. Amen. So glad to have her this morning as well. Amen. Well, one verse plucked out of all these is this is this is probably one of the most dramatic times of Christ's life when he knows that that trial, death, all of these things are, are coming. He understands that. He even told his disciples before it ever happened. So I'm, I'm going to suffer of the scribes. And he told them. He knew this was, this was coming. But now that hour was there. This is that time of being in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is that time him, the flesh crying out, the spiritual aspect of him crying out to God uh, over what was about ready to, to, to transpire or trans, uh, take place right here. And so verse number 39 says this. And he went a little farther. That's Jesus went a little farther. He had like Peter, James, and John uh, with him, left them on the spot, asking them to help him pray. But he even separated himself a little distance farther, fell on his face, and prayed, saying, 
Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, that's the pivot right there. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. Not as I will, but as thou will. So this morning, we want to talk to you in our last lesson on this series of, of living unselfishly from the phrase, that last phrase of verse 39, not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, but thine be done. It's, uh, it is definitely an aspect of living unselfishly whenever you, and I say it like this, allow God's will to be done in your life rather than pushing your own personal agenda. Because we have things we'd like to see done and happen. And the amazing thing is this, what we would like to have happen, what God likes to have happen, doesn't always coincide. <laughs> and thus is the, you know, the difficulty then sometimes to step into the shadows and allow God's will, which is the best will, amen, to be accomplished in our lives. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. We have had a good spirit of worship here today. We want that to continue in this aspect of our service as well. Father, I come to you today. I'm praying, oh God, that you're able to help us, Lord, in the next little while. Help us to turn our attention, God, and our lives, oh Lord, toward you. God, let that prayer be upon our lips, not my will, Lord. But God, yours be done. Lord, especially if there's not that coinciding. Lord, that concert, that harmony, Lord, between what, Lord, I desire and what you desire. Help me, Lord, to submit. Help me, Lord, to humbly, Lord Jesus, get under the load of what your will and your purpose would be, God, for life and circumstances and surroundings around us. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. So the setting of scripture that we are in here this morning is a very, really for the Lord, a very tense, tense setting of scripture. Just imagine if you knew you were going to die. It wasn't because of some physical dilemma that you had going on in your body, but your life was virtually going to be taken. And uh, you would have then going through your mind, no doubt, this that you would be warring with. Do you let that happen? Or do you fight to keep that from happening? And so this is where we are in a certain degree. Jesus is in what is known as the Garden of Gethsemane. He had went and resorted there, the scripture tells us, oftentimes. And amazingly, the Garden or Gethsemane, the word Gethsemane itself means a place for pressing. It was that olive yard where olives uh, were harvested and of course olives be pressed in order to get the oil from them and so it's very well suited for where he is right now in life he's in a place of the pressing and he's feeling the pressure he's feeling if you will the weight of this particular moment upon him but it's a pivotal moment not just for him but it's the pivotal moment for humanity at large because what he is about ready to subject himself to what he is on the verge of allowing. Yes, for his earthly body, it would mean death. But by virtue of that, it would mean life then in a spiritual way for all of humanity. And so he goes to the garden. 
He's going to go there and he's going to spend some time in prayer. He's going to be in prayer concerning this, this decision, everything that's about ready to uh, take place. We read in John 17, if you read the harmony of the Gospels of this account, John 17 relates to us uh, what is notably called the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. And it's in this prayer, this time of praying, that he's not just praying for himself, but he's praying for his disciples. He's praying for those the Lord hath given him, and he wants God to be glorified in everything that is done. And he's not even praying for his disciples. The Bible says in John 17, he's even praying for them that would believe upon him through his disciples' words. So he, his scope is very, very big, as we talked about scope of last week about love. He, he's praying for all of these things and the suffering that is anticipated. He knows it's not just giving up the ghost and it's done, but there is going to be some suffering. There's going to be those cat of nine tails and the crown of thorns and, and the death by crucifix, all of this uh, in order for this to take place that is ordained of God and so Jesus again we know Jesus Christ was 100% fully man but 100% fully God and so with these two natures of Christ there is that struggle just as we have a human nature today and if you've been filled with the spirit of the Holy Ghost there is that nature side of you you have that struggle uh, within you Jesus had a struggle being fully man and being fully God of course being man who in the world really wants to die, right? For that matter, who really wants to suffer in order to get to the point of death, right? But on the God side, the God aspect, he knew what the ultimate purpose was for the suffering and for the death. But with that struggle then, he's in that pressing point in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as man, as man, he's crying out. He's crying out and saying, Lord, if it be possible, you know, if there's any little, you know, loop in here, loophole or something, some type of clause, you know, uh, where we don't have to go through the suffering, the death part, and still accomplish what needs. If it be possible, let this cup, and he's speaking of a cup of suffering. He's speaking of the cup of anguish that he's going to be going through. Uh, let this cup pass for me. I guess uh, years ago for prisoners sometimes, they actually gave them cup. Their, their capital punishment sometimes was giving them a cup of poison. They'd drink it, they'd die. Okay, and so he's alluding to the fact of the way that some, you know, criminals were taken out of life. He said, let this cup, because I know what's in the cup, right? I'm aware what's in the cup. This isn't good. <laughs> he said, if at all possible, let this cup pass from me. And this, this makes me feel good as a human being to see the human side of Christ because I can identify with this. Because he didn't just ask the question once, he asked it three times. <laughs> and so that gives me hope. Because I know sometimes I go to God concerning his will, my will, and it's like it's not just a one-time tag-in. It's like, God, I, I know we had a conversation the other day, but just making sure you hadn't changed your mind. You know, and so three times Jesus, his human side, cries out, you know, if it be your will or if it be possible, let this cup, this cup of suffering, agony and pain, let it pass from me. Yet in those final moments, though, came that pivotal word, that pivotal word. He said, nevertheless. And in that moment, we have a shifting of what humanity wanted, subjecting itself to what God wanted. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He knew the severity of everything that was to come, but he said, let your will be done. And so 
that is a difficulty then, isn't it? In the world that we live in, even in the church world, it's a difficulty. One of the greatest things that people want to know in church life and outside of church is this, what is the will of God for my life? Or for any type of thing that may come up in your life that you have a decision to make, that is a common thing. What would, what would God have me to do? What is God's will in this? And sometimes it's so difficult to discern what the will of God is, isn't it? What's right? What's wrong? What is appropriate? As a matter of fact, just to show uh, people out there that are in that search, I just did a search. I ran a search on Amazon uh, under their book classification, and there are over three, there are over 30,000 uh, results and books of people for people that searching for the will of God. You know, books written about the will of God. So, you know, there is a segment of society out there that's wanting to know what the will of God is. But here's the thing. we got to make sure we really want to know what God's will is. All right? Really want to know what God's will is. Because some people sometimes don't have problems contending or accepting God's will as long as His will coincides with what their will is. See, God's will is not... Okay, I'll accept it if it harmonizes with what I want it, but I won't if it don't. No, accepting God's will is if it even goes against what, what I don't know what you changed, guys, but just change it back. Amen. Uh, I don't know, or you might not change anything, but nevertheless, so I'm sorry to assume that. But nevertheless, <clears throat> maybe I just got a head coat all of a sudden. You know, it, it could happen in this weather, I'm telling you right now. They, they need to coincide. And so we got to accept it whether it coincides or whether it don't coincide. And so whenever Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane then holds a lot of information, a lot of teaching for us, if you will, on how to surrender to the will of God. And there's something to look at. I want to point out two gardens this morning, the one that we're in, the Garden of Gethsemane, but then let's go all the way back to the beginning, another garden, the Garden of Eden. And I think we'll see a few different things here going on. Because in the Garden of Eden, of course, we have Adam and Eve, that, that first family. And what happens? Satan shows up as the serpent beguiling Eve. And as a result of the beguiling and the talk, they knew what God's will was. Right? They knew what God's will was. But here was the attitude in the Garden of Eden that got us in this shape needing a garden of Gethsemane. <laughs> Their attitude was, not your will, mine be done. Right? I know every tree of the garden we can eat, but the one that's in the midst we can't. Not your will, God, ours be done. It looks, it's desirable to look at. They took it, the Bible says, and they ate it. Yet whenever we get in the Garden of Gethsemane, we have quite the opposite. It had to undo the Garden of Eden mentality of not my will, but thine be done. And so this moment in the garden, I know we see the, the, the blind eyes open, the deaf, ears un, the deaf ears unstopped and all those things, but this is probably one of the greatest moments of Jesus' ministry upon the earth because he was, by the will of, of Jesus Christ as a man, coming to the will of God that was a part of Jesus Christ as well. He was totally altering everything that has been from the beginning of time. And Romans 5 perhaps uh, points that out better than anything because Jesus' decision had eternal ramifications. Now, some of your things about whether or not you're going to eat a donut today or not, okay, you know, jump on the treadmill, you'll be okay. But outside of that, there are some decisions even that we make in these real li our lives right now today that can also likewise have eternal ramifications. 
And so look, look, look at how the scripture uh, shows forth these two garden scenarios in Romans 5. And I'm going to start with verse number 12. The Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world. That's talking about Adam or the first Adam, like he's sometimes referred to. And death by sin. Because we know if we take Scripture and let Scripture help interpret Scripture, we know the Bible tells us that the wages or the payment of sin is what? Death. Amen. Not just a literal death, but even a spiritual death. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. We're all in the same pot, right? Amen. Verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed or sin is not laid to one's account. Sin is not laid to one's account when there is no law. I've explained this probably a gazillion times to y'all. You probably know it and explain it to me. But without a law, right, you don't know if you've done wrong or right, right? 55 miles per hour is on, you know, the signs. And when you get pulled over, they're going to ask, do you know how fast you was going? You know what the speed limit was? What are they trying to get at? We have a law. And according to the law, you know whether you have or not. The Bible says there was already sin in the world before the law ever showed up. But whenever the law showed up, it showed us that we were either below or above the mark that was made, the, the regulation that was made. So it was not imputed. It was not laid into, laid into your account until there was a law that said this is what's acceptable or not acceptable. Verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam, although they didn't take of the fruit and eat it. Amen. They still had the same error uh, uh, of sin upon their lives. Amen. After the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. It's saying that Adam was the figure of the one that was to come. That's the reason why Jesus Christ is oftentimes spoken as the second Adam or the last Adam. Amen. He was of that one that was to come. For that matter, Adam and Eve was made in the likeness of God. Right? Made even in the image of God. And that's back to all of our one God stuff. Uh, that in the mind of God was already the man Christ Jesus that would come. Verse 15, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more, if I say much more, I like that scripture reading, the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. In other words, if because of the mistakes that went on to the garden, someone saying, my will not thine be done, Lord, that caused there to be sin upon all humanity and we're born into a life of sin, amen, we're, which is going to take us ultimately to a death. If that happened, he says then much more, not just, I like that because it's not equal to, it's not equal to, but much more than shall the act of the Lord Jesus Christ. His, not my will, but thine be done, namely his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Because of that, much more then, it's going to abound unto many and even to all. Verse 16 says, not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Verse 17, for by one man's offense, death reigned by one. Much more, there it is again, they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, everybody say therefore. 
Just make sure you're still awake. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Amen. Because of his death, it justified you. When we talk about justification, it's really simple. They did this as kids growing up. Justification is this, just as if you never did it. Amen. Because of what he did, his one act of saying, not my will, but by, by submitting to the will of God, it brought justification, amen, for all of us if we will receive it. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, that's Adam, so by the obedience of one, this is Jesus Christ, shall many be made righteous. So there's a lot that is contingent upon what's going on in the Garden of Gethsemane. And look what happened. The Garden of Eden, it's a place of paradise, right? I mean, it's a place of paradise. This has been created by the very hands of God. Amen. For Adam and Eve, he placed them in the garden. This is their scope, their living, their surroundings. It's a place of paradise, a place of joy, a place prior to their transgression that knew no sin, no evil, no wickedness. It's a place of peace. But the moment, look at the power of not submitting to the will of God. The moment that they did not submit, and it was our will, but not thy will be done. Now that very place that was peaceful, paradise, so on and so forth, became a place of judgment, a place of terrible regret, even so much so that he had to set them outside of the garden with an angel with a flaming sword to guard it so they would not go in because there was a tree of life that was there. And if they had ate that in their sinful state, it would condemn them to remain in it because it was this eternal tree of life. And so now it was a place of judgment. Had they been that, that would have been horrific. And so because of them wanting their will rather than God's will, it changed the whole dynamics of that. However, if we translate thousands of years then now back to the Garden of Gethsemane, right now in this moment it's a place, it's, it's a place where things are pressed. They go through a pressing. There's pressure. For right now in this moment, it's a place of great sorrow for the Lord. It's anguish, it's suffering, but because of his decision. You say, well, he died. He went to a cross. Yes, he did. But through death came victory. Through his decision to submit to the Lord came ultimately victory. His prayers in that garden that he spoke, it revealed that it was in his decision to submit to the will of God. And he had that struggle that we have that Scripture even bears out, and that is this, that the Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is what? Let me tell you something. Your flesh is going to always be weak. It's kind of like trying to prop a dead man up. You're, <laughs> right? Because whenever you come to the Lord, you receive the Spirit of Christ. What? That part of it is dead. Huh? Supposed to be dead. So, you know, our flesh is always going to be weak. And the Spirit indeed needs to be willing to overcome. And so, again, Jesus prayed three times that this cup would be taken away. Amen. But it was not taken away. But I am convinced this morning, just as their decision in the Garden of Eden and Jesus' decision in the Garden of Gethsemane, if those things can affect our surroundings, the way whether we give in to the will or reject the will of God, give in to our surroundings, I'm convinced how you accept God's will or reject God's will can affect your surroundings. Either for the better or for the worse. They can affect your surroundings. 
And so number one, something we need to look at concerning Jesus and accepting God's will, and that is this, that Jesus submitted to the will of God. And he submitted to the will of God, and that was more than just a mental decision. That was more than just a mental decision. We find it took action. Took action. We find the Apostle Paul, that he had something similar in his life that he was up against concerning God's will. The Bible states it for us in in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse number 7. He had a very similar prayer or a similar way. It seems like he approached something. He says this, look at it. Lest I should be... As I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know exactly what this is. Uh, we're not necessarily talking about a literal thorn in his flesh. You think he would have been able to do, you know, get that one taken care of, uh, especially when he had a good buddy, Luke, who was a physician. Uh, but nevertheless, had a thorn in the flesh. Some say uh, we read other places that maybe he had problems with his eyes or so on and so forth. Nevertheless, something that agitated him in his flesh. He said, the messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I should be exalted of a measure. In other words, he's seen all these great visions and revelations. And he thought that maybe whatever this was in his body may have been a way of keeping him humble rather than becoming arrogant and exalted. Verse number 8 then tells us, for this thing, that thorn in the flesh, Paul says, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And guess what? Just as Jesus asked, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, and it didn't happen. Paul says, Lord, you know, if you'd mind, just, you know, let this thorn be taken care of. Three times he went to the Lord. It didn't happen. But the Lord's response to him was what? That many of you know, my grace is sufficient for you. And that is true when we read Romans again, that the grace is much more. Huh? The grace is much more than whatever may even come about by the failure or the fall of man. And so power, Paul discovered that the power of God, the power of Christ, could work even in him, and this is what we need to discover, even in his time of weakness. He considered whatever this physical thing was in his body to be something that is weakness. But that's how we read later that Paul would even say that when I am weak, then am I strong? That he, he, he would glory in, in persecutions and afflictions and being pressed down and all these things because he knew that the glory of the Lord, amen, that God had subjected him, amen, by certain means through these things and he was going to trust God to take him through all the way even unto the end. So when we go back to Jesus in the garden, Jesus understood his moment. Jesus understood his moment. Jesus understood that in this moment, here's everything that's on the table. He understood that he was taking on the sins of the world in this moment. Whew. Now that's a, that is a big bill to try to fill. The sins of the world from Adam and Eve, amen, to Calvary, from Calvary forward to those that would be committed. He's taking this upon his shoulders. If I can say all of that poison... <laughs> Could have been found in the cup that he was about ready to partake of the bible says in first peter 2 24 these words who his own self speaking of jesus bear our sins in his own body 
on the tree that we being dead to sin should live into righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. That's, that's what hinged upon this moment of God's will being done. Secondly, what hinged on this moment, uh, Jesus Christ in this moment, whenever he would ultimately give up the ghost, all right, leading up to that moment on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When you take all the sin of the world upon you, sin is a separator, right? Isaiah told us that. He said, your iniquities have separated me from thee. Amen. So here, Jesus knows, if I take all the sins of the world upon me, that's going to separate me from God. Huh? In a moment. My, my God, my God, why hast thou separated me? And whenever he cried in that ninth hour and he gave up the ghost, amen, and his body, if you will, died, hallelujah, no part of God died. Amen. But he knew that that was what all this decision right here was going to be based upon. It was pivotal right there for that moment. But he also knew by doing that, it was going to bring victory to all of humanity. He bore our sins. He came through as the ultimate sacrifice. It wasn't a bull or a goat like the Old Testament has prescribed. He was the sacrifice. And Hebrews says he went in once and for all as the Lamb of God laid himself down for the sins of humanity not to have to be dealt with again. Not to have to be dealt with again. That's what brought all of because of his submission. To the will of God, that brought that about for you and I. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 56, concerning the sting of death is sin, yes, and the strength of sin is the law because it shows us where we're right or wrong. But then verse 57, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through what? Our Lord Jesus Christ, namely in his submission in the garden. Because the submission in the garden then precipitated everything else that would take place. But he had to be submitted to the will of God. He had to be obedient to the will of God. I can know the will of God without being obedient to the will of God. Hmm? We've been teaching on our own ways. You know, a child can know what's right and wrong and do what's wrong. You know, we can know the will of God. And that's, that's where, when we talk about the Bible, it's got to be more than just knowledge. It's got to become heart. It needs to make the 18-inch journey from mind to heart. Amen. And so it's not just about knowing, it's about doing the will of God. And so it was settled then in history with Jesus, not my will, but thine be done. That was, if you will, submission unto the Lord. And so whenever we're going to try to follow the same pattern, here we go. The will of God for my life. The will of God for what I'm facing right now. The will of God for the decision that I have to contend with. So if we're going to follow the pattern of Jesus submitting to the will of God, how do we apply that to our own life? Number one. You ready? Look what Jesus did when he went to seek out the will of God. He got somewhere and found a place to pray. That's deep and profound, I know. I know you had your paper out and you was really going to scroll down something just blow your mind stuff on number one. But folks, let me tell you, sometimes, uh, or oftentimes or most times, finding the will of God comes down to having a conversation with God. And that's what prayer is, a conversation with God. As a matter of fact, this was not a lay me down to sleep prayer. It really it wasn't. 
This was not a, you know, like knee in the ball and football prayer. Amen. <laughs> the, he prayed enough, Luke said, that his sweat became as though it were great drops of blood, which that can really happen. That can really happen. The body can be through so much stress that the capillaries and stuff and the sweat glands begin to burst and blood can actually issue forth from your pores because of the, that just shows the magnitude of the weight that he was feeling in the moment with the decision that he had to make. But he prayed and so fervently, so intensely for what the will was that this occurred and happened. So this wasn't lay me down to sleep. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. God could maybe answer just, hey, God, what do you think? And he said, boom, this is what I say. But, you know, sometimes it's just not a high five prayer that you need. You need to just get down and just have a good old conversation with God about, Lord, what, what is your will in this? Amen. Even the Bible even speaks of in James 5. It speaks of in James 5. James would tell us, you know, concerning our prayers that Elijah was a man subject to like passions, meaning he's just like you and me. All right? Elijah was a man subject to like messages, just like, and yet he prayed that the heavens would be shut up for three and a half years, right? And he also prayed then later that they would be opened back up. And he tells us then that the effectual, fervent prayer, now those are some stuff leading up to the prayer part, effectual, fervent. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And he's of like passions as you and I. You know what that tells me? That your effectual fervent prayers then avail just as much. Right? They avail just as much. And prayer then is very effective. And prayer is very important. Amen. That we need to go to absolutely when we're seeking the will of God. Now here's the problem. We could talk about this for a whole other session. Prayer does not come naturally. Prayer does not come naturally to the weak flesh. Let's just talk about it, right? Nobody's got to act like, you know, that they're the epitome of prayerfulness. All right? They got it all together in a side of fries. Prayer does not come naturally to human flesh. And so we got to take the flesh to prayer. <laughs> Jesus had to take that earthly body to the Garden of Gethsemane. Kneel down and have a conversation with God. And so you got to do it. It may not come naturally, but it is necessary. Huh? Just because it's not natural doesn't mean it's not necessary. It is necessary, although it's not natural. Amen. And so we, we got to pray sometimes to just overcome our flesh in order to find out what God's will is. Huh? You got to take this in incremental steps sometimes. And so he said, oh, my father, be possible. Let this cut pass. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. So we got to pray. That's a good way to find out the will of God for your circumstance, for your life, what's going on. Then also... Not just praying that, but you must surrender. Everybody say surrender. You got to surrender to the will of God. Mm -hmm. We got to surrender to the will of God. If, if you can, and I, I don't think I gave you these scriptures up there, but let's read them. Let's go back to the Apostle Paul, amen, and see some of the things that he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'll start with verse number 7. I just left you hanging there. I'm sorry about that. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12. In verse number 7, here he is. He, that's the verse we already looked at. He's talking about that thorn in his flesh. Verse number 9. Let's go to verse number 9. And he said unto me, this is Jesus' response, which I alluded to earlier, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Boom. Wow. 
So you're telling me that the strength of God isn't necessarily showcased in everything in my life just going right. Huh? Right? So you're telling me the strength of God isn't necessarily showcased in every T being crossed tonight. No, no. That my strength, he said, is made perfect in your weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I, here it is, will I rather glory in my infirmities, Paul says, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in, and I alluded to these, infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses. Woo, Paul, hold on now, buddy. Get carried away on us. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. There it is. So Paul's saying, I'm, I'm surrendering to the will of God. And if it takes me down the lane of persecution, I'm going to go. And if it takes me into distresses, I'm going to go. And if it takes me into reproaches, I'm going to go. Because I know although I'm feeling horribly weak right here and at a disadvantage, that Christ's strength is going to be seen in me through me. Amen. Folks, you have seen it. You have been examples of that over and over again. But we must surrender to the will of God wherever the will of God is going to take us. And I'm not standing here today telling you that's easy. If it's easy, everybody be doing it. <laughs> Amen. If it's easy, everybody be doing it. There's times whenever you choose to submit to the will of God and everything starts taking place <clears throat> that you start to wonder if that was the will of God. Because the persecution, the heartache, and all the reproach come and say, God, is this really you? <laughs> is this you and all this? God allows things, subjects us to things. But it, sometimes it makes us second guess whether or not we are in the will of God. We just got to trust whatever he said to us, whatever he spoke to us in that original time of prayer, amen, of seeking out his will for our life. And so we surrender to the will of God. And here's another important thing, another way that we surrender or submit to the will of God, is everybody all right? Is by obeying the commands of the word. Some of God's will for our lives can be 100% dictated to us by opening the word of God. Because God's word is his will. This is the, the Holy Ghost inspired men of old to pin these things down. And what was God doing in that moment? He was making his will known to man. Your will or whatever you have going on in your mind, it's either going to come by spoken word. And the spoken word can become the written word. That's how you have will and testaments, right? <laughs> Many times written down on paper, that's the will of a human being upon this earth. This is God's will and testament. This is his will for humanity. And so sometimes, you know, we, and you know, there's, there's a gazillion self-help books out there. You get self-help for everything. Self-help for a hangnail, self-help how to unclog your drain, self-help for this and that, do it yourself, all that good stuff. But listen, you need to go to the Word of God. This is the first, this is the first book that was ever printed on the printing press, and it's been a bestseller every year since it's been in publication. Amen. And if it's good enough to live our life by, and the same word we're going to be judged by, I think it's a great thing to seek out God's will by the Word of God. Amen. So submitting to this. Surrendering even to the word of God. Because there are things right here in black and white that can give you direction, that can give you direction concerning what you should do or perhaps shouldn't even do. Amen. That he is not going to lead you astray by his word. But again, that kind of comes, you know, back and forth. So we need prayer and we need some time of being in his word. You know, we got to familiarize ourselves with his will. 
Amen. We've got to familiarize ourselves with his will. And so we follow those commands. Amen. And doing so, in doing so, we'll be able to travel the route of what the will of God is for our lives. <clears throat> There's a legend, and I'm, I'm coming to a close here today. Brother Mason, I'll let you know ahead of time. There's a legend about a king that he decided to set aside a special day of honor to honor some of his greatest subjects, greatest subjects. And so the big day arrived, and there's this large gathering in the palace courtyard and all the pomp and prestige of everybody is around. And so he brought four finalists forward that were his greatest subjects, and the king was going to select the winner. And so the first person that he presented to uh, his kingdom and his people was a wealthy uh, philanthropist and uh, the king was told that this man was very highly uh, deserving of the honor because of all of his humanitarian efforts that he had done throughout the kingdom. And he had given a lot of his wealth to the poor, and it was very notable. And then the second person that was a candidate came forth, and they were a celebrated physician. And uh, it was told the king that he was a doctor, and he was highly deserving of the honor of being the greatest subject because he had rendered faithful service and dedication to people throughout the kingdom as a doctor and healed the sick so to speak you know for many many years and then the third person was brought forth and uh, it was an elderly or it was a distinguished judge and told that the judge's worth you know was his weight and gold and and that he was worth because of his notable wisdom and his brilliance and his fairness and the decisions that he made throughout you know on, on behalf of the kingdom and then the fourth person that was presented was an elderly woman Everyone was a little surprised to see an elderly woman. Her manner was quite humble, stooped back, shuffling feet. Her dress wasn't nothing flamboyant. But she came forward and she was honored, said this should be the greatest subject in the kingdom. People started to ask, what in the world? I mean, what type of comparison does she have to this physician or comparison to a philanthropist or this or that, these others that accomplished so much? But they could, they could see a no look of just that grandmotherly love upon her sweet little wrinkled face. And uh, they seen her and understood very quickly why that she was being considered. Because it comes to find out that she had been the caregiver or the instructor for the one that had become the philanthropist. The one that had become the doctor. The one that had become the judge. She had been their, their teacher and their mentor. She didn't have any wealth. She didn't have any fortune. She didn't have any title. She was just an elderly woman that had what? Given her life unselfishly. Given her life unselfishly for the benefit of all those others. And look what they did in their lives. But it really has contributed to what she had done in her life. But underneath the shadows of not no grand title or flamboyance. She had submitted to a plan, and it influenced then the whole kingdom. I guess what I'm saying to you, and you stand with me this morning, is this. When we submit and surrender to the will of God, even as we see in Christ Jesus, its implications go beyond the Garden of Gethsemane. Its, its effects go beyond the effect of Christ the Lord. It affected all humanity. And you really don't know in reality. We never will until this life is over. How the true dynamics of you following the will of God will have affected somebody else's life. 
We, we will, we, I mean, there are certain things that we can pick up on in this, this real life that we know about, we're aware of. But just imagine that probably the scope that you are aware of, there's probably that much that you're not aware of. How your life's decisions really influenced and affected then in future generations other people's lives. Amen. So it's important today to live our life with that attitude, not my will, not my will, Lord, but thine be done in my life. And not just to have knowledge about it, but please follow through with it. And when the distress comes, keep your nose to the, keep your nose to the ground and don't get distracted and follow through with it. Because you need to be sowed on. You need to be sowed on when you hear the will of God. You need to be sowed. Because when those other things come, being sowed on that you heard the voice of God or you've seen in the scripture that's what his will is, then you'll stay with it when the winds are blowing like they are today. Yeah. Because the winds will blow, won't they, Sister Margie? The, 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 all the other things are going to start coming, coming apart around it. You've got to be sowed out. Sowed out to the will and the purpose of God. If we bow our heads all across this place today. We're closing these four weeks of living an unselfish life. We've talked about generosity over these four weeks. We have talked about love. Amen. Over these four weeks, we have talked about trying to mirror the unselfishness, even as Christ mirrored it for us, coming down as a servant when he was the king of glory. We've talked about all these things. We're trying to live our lives unselfishly. And ultimately today, just, just being in his will and living life according to his will rather than our own. We all have our agendas. I know it. I have mine just as much as yours. But we got to be willing to diverge at the fork of the road whenever his agenda supersedes or, or, or contrasts what our agenda is. God, not my will, but yours be done. Hallelujah. Can we today, if you will, you can come forward around the front. If you just want to stand, that's fine. But let's just have a conversation with God. Can we meet the Lord with prayer? There may be some people sitting in, or standing rather in this audience today that they're at some junctures in the road. They need to know what the will of God is for this particular decision or choice that they have. Some of you maybe just be uh, you know, out there right now and you're feeling like like you're being tossed to and fro by the waves of life and the wind is assailing you and you're like brother mcgee i just really need to know what god's will what what he would have me to do have a conversation with god this morning cry out to god in prayer and say god here i am i really don't know and it's okay to be honest folks if there's anybody you need to be honest with you for sure just need to be honest with god god i just really don't know what to do it's okay to admit that there's no weakness in admitting. I don't know what to do, God. I don't know what to do with this or what my next step needs to be. I need your help. I need your guidance. I need your instruction. Amen. I guarantee if you're honest with God with that type of prayer, He's going to supply the direction. He's going to supply the direction. He's going to supply what you need in order to take your next step. Hallelujah, God. I want to live unselfishly today. Lord, my life, I oftentimes pray in my own personal prayer time. I say, God, my life is not my own. My life is not my own. It belongs to you. We are all day long, the Bible says, that we are uh, considered as lambs for the slaughter. My, my life is not my own. You put the breath in me, Lord. You're causing my heart to, to, to beat. It's beat, Lord, even as I, my life is not mine. It's yours. You gave me this life, and someday you will take life, Lord, back from it. It belongs to you. And help me, Lord, to live my days. Lord, honorable to the one who gave me this life and ultimately 
immediately will take it whenever I am removed from this earth. I pray, oh God, today. Oh, let's talk to the Lord right now. I love you, Jesus. God, I pray, oh Lord, we need your will to be done in our lives. We need your will to be done in the life of the church. Help us, oh God, to be mindful of that. Help us, Lord, if we ask with sincerity about what you would have us to do. Lord, let it be more than head knowledge. Let it be more, God, than accepting of what's been said or done. Help me, God, to be obedient. Help me, God, to surrender. Help me, Lord, to submit and practice it, Lord Jesus, in my life. Oh, God, oh, God, I don't even understand, perhaps in the moment, all the things that may be contingent upon that. I might not even understand in the moment all the things that are contingent upon the choices and decisions of being submissive to the will of God. But, Lord, I know with confidence you have my best interest in mind. I know with confidence, oh, Lord Jesus, that even in those moments that I would consider to be weakness, that you will be strong and you'll showcase your glory and you'll showcase your magnificence, Lord. Even in those weak, Lord Jesus, moments that I I call weak in my life, you'll be the God that is perfect. You'll get the glory. Your strength will be made known. People will know that that's the handiwork of God. And that is the result of following the will of God. Even when the will of God doesn't make sense to my human mind, even when the will of God, amen, doesn't add up, Lord Jesus, or play out appropriately, Lord, with my natural thinking. I'm depending on you, Lord. Oh, for I say like Job, he knows the way that I take. He knows the path that I go. When I can't discern him on the left or on the right or in front of me or in back of me. Even when I say if I just knew where his seat was, that's where I'd pledge my 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 my, my pledge to him and my complaint to him. But Ah, though I don't know really everything about where he is or what's going on right now. His ways are past finding out. He knows the way that I take. Yes, he does. Hallelujah. Brother Mace, do you have a song that we could just sing a few bars of here today? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.